This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I'm your host, Lores, and back for, what is this, five, six appearances now, Jerry? It's Jerry. It's Jerry. <laughs> what are you up to tonight, Jerry? I was I was doing something else for my boss. I gotta make him some shit. I'm past deadline on something. I'm sure he's pretty pissed. You should let him know. You know, it's an exciting night of movies where we're not talking about a Stanley Kubrick film for once. We're talking about a 2019 feature. One that you had a hand in putting me over the edge to go see because you were telling me a little bit about this black metal scene and I wasn't that familiar. I was curious about some aspects of it and I was apprehensive to go see this movie initially because the director is also the director of my lowest ranked film of the year thus far, Polar. Mm -hmm. Jonas Ackerland. Did I get his name correct? I think it's either Ackerland or Ackerland, but he's also done like like a Beyonce music videos and shit. No, he's actually a very prolific music video director, but when it comes to feature films, he doesn't seem to be on the ball. He has done a couple in the early 10s. Is that what you would refer to this decade as? I guess. So he's got some experience under his belt as far as that goes, and he's a visually savvy director. But when I was watching Polar, it felt like a gigantic waste of time it played to all the tropes of every 2004 action film that was released in the united states it felt like domino it felt like i don't really have any other references to go with (laughs) domino remember in my written review i said it was like a shittier version of red Mm. that's actually that's great that's spot on much closer than domino i (laughs) I mean what was (laughs) that's not bad either (laughs) rest in peace tony scott who jumped off a bridge All these Hollywood celebrities killing themselves. But we're talking about the Lords of Chaos, and there's quite a bit of suicide and murder that is involved in this film. No, fuck. Stop the sentimental shit. Stop. There's nothing sad about my death or my life. I'm Euronymous, founder of Mayhem, the most infamous black metal band in the world. I had my own record store. I had my own record label. I created a whole new musical genre. You were a fan of this genre of music, presumably long before this movie was ever announced, and this was in production for quite a while. Give me some background on your history with this genre and also your knowledge of the key components within the film. I've pretty much always been into black metal since I was like maybe like 10 or some shit like that, and... One of the first bands that, when you first really get into the black metal, is is Dark Throne, mm-hmm. and immediately following that is, I think I got a cassette tape, a Burzum cassette tape, and it was real fucked up and sounded horrible. But it was an original Burzum cassette tape, like like that they that uh, Varg Reichenys actually put out. So and that must have been. Uh, like 2000 2001 or some shit like that so from then go ahead i was gonna say just real quick that is something you come to know rather quickly when you start to download the music of these bands if you go into the earliest of their catalogs it's all gonna sound like it's been funneled through a tin can Mm -hmm. the the quality of the music uh technically is terrible that uh, that obviously doesn't go for the actual performance itself it's just very difficult to listen to it's not very accessible because obviously they were using 
rookie equipment during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were using all used used rookie equipment that was, you know, maybe poorly refurbished and sounded like shit even then for their standards. So you imagine you get a tape, fuck, now 30 years later, it sounds even worse. But that's a big part of the aesthetic is, is this... Um, opposite of Van Halen, right? If Van Halen mm. is really clean and flashy and, you know, high kicks in the air during your music video and shit, black metal is like no music video, no moving around, just five dudes standing around looking like corpses, you know, sweating on guitars. And that's a big part of the appeal. And in the film, they don't necessarily touch on it, but what most people are drawn to is that really raw and and fucked up sound. You know, it, it's it's got its own aesthetic to it. But that culture that bred that aesthetic was, I, I for lack of a better word, extremely toxic. I mean, the movie does a decent job of explaining, but these dudes like beat the shit out of each other stabbed each other murdered a guy burned places down smuggled things in and out of their own country and shit like it was uh it's gangster rap for for metalheads that's a spot-on comparison the movie obviously only focuses on the origin of mayhem in burzum Mm -hmm. it doesn't get into the peripheral scenes that were outside of uh you know the norwegian black metal scene which by all accounts outweigh all of the evils done within this scene. Like, I had just finished the book, which I know is uh, quite controversial among fans of this genre of music and the bands that are involved in the film and obviously in the book. But some of the things that were going down in, like, Germany, for example, were much, much worse than uh, the the squabbles of this band and some of their terrible actions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Like, there was one... I was, I was just going to say, there was one band that I remember reading about that had planned to go to, like, Euro Disney or Disney World or something and dress up as the characters in costume and murder random black people with silencers. So that that's quite the uh, dastardly plan, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's um, a French band from the mid-90s that... Right, they they were arrested or whatever, and I guess charged. But their plan was to um, prick gays with already it, uh, AIDS infected needles, so they would find gay people and stab them with a needle, and mm-hmm. then take off running to make sure they got AIDS. Like in most cases, we are talking about people from the the deepest fringes. You can imagine someone all the way to the north of Germany or isolated somewhere somewhere outside of Oslo. And, you know, it was probably going to end up being uh, a fringe personality. I mean, they're essentially in the middle of nowhere in Europe. And these guys were, and a lot still are, black metal hasn't lost that aesthetic, but they, they are the the like hillbilly versions of a European. They don't have access to a lot of shit. Here, that type of isolation turns you into, you know, a weirdo listening to David Allen Coe. There, it turns you into of a frozen killer. Or like these are Viking guys. There's videos now of Faust, the guy that did the Lilyhammer stabbing. That's it's depicted there in the um in Lords of Chaos. He, he stabs mm-hmm. that guy in the woods. Uh, Faust, even as recently as like four or five years ago. It's taking people on hikes up mountains with no trails in like a t-shirt. 
freezing. And he just says things like, hey, if frostbite kills me, then whatever. Everybody else is like, we're going to die up here. And he's like, no, we got to keep going. It's fine. No big deal. Like These guys, they don't have much uh, reverence for the fact that they're alive. They don't really give a fuck. And it comes out in all of their music. One thing that annoyed me about Lords of Chaos is it frequently depicts these guys as kids playing playing goth rather than actually seriously disturbed people. Don't you think that is part of the element? And I want to I want to I want to talk about something related to this that I think might not be a one to one comparison here, but I think there's something similar in the culture today. I I just want to give a quick explanation of the film for those who haven't seen it. Why don't you know you could do a better description here than I would since you're more familiar with all these characters involved. It's effectively a biopic, right? Not necessarily the same thing as um, Bohemian Rhapsody or even like the parody of those films, Walk Hard. It, but it tells the story of, I can't pronounce his real name, Euronymous, the Oystein. guitarist, Oystein, yeah. the leader and lead guitarist of one of these black metal bands, you know, t- take it to the same vein as bands like Venom or Black Sabbath, really grungy music, and explains how through his passion for black metal and creepy things, he formed a band of the the best musicians as far as this type of music went between Norway and Sweden, uh, developed the most popular record store between those two countries for this particular type of music um groomed one of the most notorious terrorists within that community and then was eventually murdered by him that's like the whole of the film which isn't that that stuff's not a lie that is what happened euronymous Mm -hmm. did do all of those things and then accidentally find vark vikernes who incidentally is crazy the tagline of this movie is based on truth and lies. And there are some exaggerations within the film. I remember seeing that there was a video on YouTube featuring Varg in which he had some complaints about this movie that depicted, obviously, the murder of Euronymous at his hand. Uh, his biggest complaint was that he engaged in a threesome. Can you believe this? Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. How could they ever think to put such <laughs> slander such such libel in a film like this right. yeah he didn't care about the him allegedly cutting a monologue and explaining in detail exactly why he was stabbing someone and why he became right he, he basically explained a super villain origin story inside of the film for some reason he doesn't dispute that even though he he says that that's fake for you know any other time you'd ask him he needed to make a video specifically about how he didn't have a threesome. Well, that and also the fact that Euronymous did not cut his hair right. before he killed him. No, that, no, no. That was that was during the autopsy. That was the coroner who did that. But there, there's a lot of stuff in this film that is like, oh, Euronymous was just a good boy, a sweet boy. And every single person from that community all the way up to five minutes ago will have told you something completely different. But don't you think to effectively tell the story in the way that it's been told in a conventional manner that you have to depict him as somebody who is more of a poser than actually rotten? I mean, yeah, in a lot of ways, but it ends up, he ends up looking more 
like a poser than the actual poser that made the film, right? Jonas Ockerlund is, the dude's a plain and straight up poser, right? He did metal for literally one year and then went on to do Christian music videos, Swedish pop music videos, and his whole career has been basically pop music. His connection to metal is that he was sort of into black metal at the time and in the format that it was. But within five years of the time that he left Bathory, he was complaining about every detail in in not just black metal, but the actual actual uh, metal that had started to come out. Bands like Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth, things like that. So he was mm-hmm. bitching about even more vanilla metal in comparison to black metal. You know, I think this movie and its time of release in this particular era, directly and indirectly raises a lot of interesting questions about this kind of artistic effort and the kind of people that would produce it. Because there are a lot of people that are fans of black metal, and Burzum in particular. If you tune into Gummo, you will hear Burzum. If you tune into Heaven Knows What, you will hear Burzum. And... Is there something to be said about somebody who would enjoy that kind of music or uh, be able to put aside the fact that Varg Vikernes murdered somebody and engaged in destroying historic cathedrals? Mm-hmm. I mean, that I don't think you necessarily need to like be be uh, uh, huffing the scent of a dead rat in a paper bag in order to be a black metal fan or a metal fan, you know, of any type. But I I definitely think that black metal specifically has a fan base that fits a like a, a particular model and a, a common aesthetic. And not maybe not everybody's wearing um black band t shirts, right? But it would be hard to find a honest black metal fan that would say and act the way that Euronymous speaks and acts in this film. Like he, he almost says things perfect. There was a line that I remember he said that I, it made me fucking cringe. It was, uh, I have it written down somewhere. All, oh, all this evil and dark crap was supposed to be fun. And I'm in most cases in my life of, of experiencing metalheads and, specifically people into black metal i've never found someone that looked at black metal and evil and dark crap quote unquote as a a fun and and every single person i've ever met that's into this stuff has typically been like i'm depressed or i have these uh you know dark times or i'm a pissed off person or i'm a sad person or whatever and this music is the music for which I enjoy. I've never heard someone say, it's just been fun trying to be a villain. And that's almost literally what he says in the film. So there's there's this I get that that maybe depicting him as a poser might help with the um, narrative but it's completely false and makes everybody else seem way more extreme than he is. Right? It's like, it's... Go ahead. Don't you think there is an element of all of them, at least within Mayhem, and uh, some of these scenes that weren't as criminal, 
that is indeed Poser-esque, and it was really just that Varg element that kicked things up a notch and brought them into uh, a territory of... I, I refrain from using the term evil, because I don't know if I believe that Varg is an evil guy. Mm-hmm. But just within that spectrum of doing terrible things. Well, I think from from what's been said between each other and publicly, fr- you know, from these guys themselves, I'm, I think it's fair to say that the vast majority of them were pretty fucked up and weird before Varg, and Varg was just the type of person to say, well, yeah, we hate this stuff. Let's take it a step farther. I mean, sure. and that that's something that he's talked about even, you know, whenever he like broke out of prison and was going to uh, get a bunch of guns and shit from Serbians or something like yeah. that. Like, like he's obviously the type of guy to escalate it. But I don't think that there was any of them that would have would have spent the day in a Venom t-shirt and a, a, band, a bandolier belt, you know, and gone home to to catch the the most recent episode of Dallas, you know? Sure, sure. I, I, really I mean, I just, I, I see somewhat of a comparison between certain members of this scene, from what I know anyway, and their allure towards evil and kind of wearing it as a character trait or, mm-hmm. a, you know, making that their personality or aesthetic. And then gradually evolving into that. Mm-hmm. So sort of a fake it till you make it situation, which I think we see a lot of or we saw a lot of within the past couple of years uh, with people being radicalized online politically, mm-hmm. where it started out with memes and then you start to almost buy the meme. I don't think this speaks for the culture at large, but there's definitely a certain strain of individuals on the internet that started out doing memes to piss off social justice warrior types and gradually became full on people that buy into most posts that you would find on poll. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I see that as kind of a, a much lesser mirror situation to the ideological beliefs and actions within this black metal scene. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think you're wrong. I think that, Maybe with a lot of these guys, because this like aesthetic in general hadn't been established by anybody, you know, really uh, Venom is the first official black metal band, uh, Black Sabbath being like the first band to introduce that music, but, but Venom being the first band to have an actual style that people call black metal. Other than them, most, most of those guys created the look that a lot of people go for now and i think that maybe their own uh mental disposition their like emotional states influence other people to want to have that same thing so they could fit that aesthetic but i think in this case like it's a lot more of what people uh pose as is actually how those guys really really were if you look at how varg Faust or Fenrir's are, they're dark dudes. You know, like yeah. like Faust killed a killed a man. So did Varg, right? That I think Faust's is worse than Varg's. Varg killed a guy that he suspected was going to kill him. Faust right. just killed a guy because he was hitting on him. You know, and Faust didn't do anything to make him stop hitting on him. Right? He just let the dude hit on him up to a point and then encouraged it so that he could murder him and not feel any remorse for it. 
Yeah, right, in the movie, that it's kind of unclear as to whether or not he sought out to murder somebody that night. Yeah. To build, like, they kind of spin it in that manner where it's he's looking to build a reputation of sorts to up the ante. And we don't know, do you know if that was actually the case in real life or no. if he just literally he, murdered a guy for hitting he on He just really murdered that dude because he, it, like, Faust is one of the craziest people in that entire community. You can watch interviews with him where he's elaborating on... Like the the things that he's attempted to do or wanted to do or his perception of reality and he's a, f- a fucking nutty dude he is that that gothic vampire dude now it might have got worse as his legend grew but at that point i don't necessarily think he was trying to 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 have a reputation and i don't believe the um oh you know we're gonna get big because we burned down the church or we stabbed this this dude in lilyhammer i honestly think it was that he was and is maybe a pro like this proto-fascist mentality and he needed to murder this gay dude in this situation because this gay dude did a thing that his proto-fascist mentality considers to be you know what i mean antithetical to what he considers a a productive society Mm -hmm. now i want to focus specifically on these bands in the norwegian black metal scene obviously if we branch out further than that then this question might be uh, more null, I guess. But do you think that there is room for this genre, generally speaking, in spite of having flirtations loosely or otherwise with uh, both Nazism or fascism and the occult? It's it's difficult because personally, I don't see why anybody should dictate some type of limitation on anybody else's art uh, mm-hmm. especially you know I, I i enjoy black metal quite a bit and a lot of the bands that are there like important to me and i think are important to music but with the way I, you know it's unfair to say this let me let me backtrack a little bit yes i think there's room for all media and all media is subversive to somebody, right? I think there's room for all media, but especially this type of subversive content because there there are bands like Buck Cherry, right? Where those guys, at one, whenever they existed and were popular, they took time to put gel in their hair and get the leather pants to look really rock and roll and heavy metal, but they're dads, you know, and they mow their lawn on, on Sundays. There needs to be that balance where there isn't that dude that mows his lawn on Sunday that really does just sit in a basement and smoke filterless cigarettes in 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 the cold. And black metal has has been filling that void for a long time. I just think that no matter what, there's going to be a a huge strain of people, you know, a long line of people that hate it for a different reason and Mm -hmm. every five years one person will walk away and a new person will walk up to tell you why it's the worst thing ever well let me let me rephrase the question maybe do you think there's room for it in the popular culture uh uh, probably not but i don't think it i don't think black metal needs to be or even belongs in the popular culture i i growing up in it like uh the fact that nobody can read 
my Dark Throne shirt. Nobody knows what it says. The, the It's just a bunch of squiggly lines. There's, you know, memes about sticks laying on the ground. It's like, oh, this is my favorite black metal band. Because nobody can read. I like that it's inaccessible to most people. I like that it's too abrasive and too hard for people to get into. And that they're afraid that they might be consuming a Nazi. That's So let me ask you this. Do you think... Appeal. Do you think that it being brought into the sunlight when they started getting uh, coverage is ultimately what caused the downfall of this scene and genre? I think the Varg snitch thing is a big part of it. I think if Varg hadn't snitched, if they hadn't had, if the media hadn't had a reason to say, oh, black metal um, uh, Satanists burned down church or whatever, I think probably they're the 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 overall uh, like public opinion of it would be a little bit better um and you wouldn't get like banned you know if you if you wanted to show up at a place a community wouldn't pick at you if you wanted to show up regardless of what you're into but the 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 genre itself probably was do- doomed to begin with just because of how abrasive it is you know it's well yeah, and I, I also think it's a direct product of its time. Mm-hmm. Where was it before we started recording, or maybe it was during the show? But you had mentioned uh, what was it, uh, like a Twisted Sister, some band, uh, uh, Motley Crue, maybe. I have no idea. Yeah, but Van Halen. There, Van Halen. There yeah, we yeah. go. Glam rock was definitely in, and also at the time they're in the middle of the Satanic Panic, mm-hmm. right? And this is a direct rebellion to all of that. Mm-hmm. to the popular culture at large of that moment. And something like that is destined to fizzle out at some point. And in this case, it did so quite violently. Well, it's sort of it's sort of that, I want to say, like superhero film cliche, where the bad guy gets wasn't a bad guy before and something happens. And he says, you know, this line, I, I think I've seen it before. He says, uh, they wanted a bad guy. Well, now I'll give him a bad guy. That's sort of black metal, you know, is, mm-hmm. is there was this satanic panic where Dungeons and Dragons is turning kids into Satan worshipers at the park or whatever. And early on, it makes sense to to say, well, if people are afraid of this. I'm going to get a little spooky. But almost immediately, fro- frozen Vikings in the middle of the woods found it and that's probably just like one of the scariest communities to get a hold of something. It's like if it's like if a, a whole genre of music was started by jihadis, right? You immediately are like, well, this is a little worrisome, you know? Do you think that comedy is in the midst of undergoing its own black metal moment? Because I think comedy as a at large is tied to the rebellious culture of the internet right now. Yeah, I think in a, a lot of ways um so black metal is more of an attitude and a perception than it is uh, a music music genre and being subversive and as subversive as you could possibly be is kind of the 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 backbone of that that kind of lifestyle right so i think mm. that comedy where there are people that will just show that show up and and they're the most clean cut PG comedy or 
we're talking about Camille Nianjiani. They take a political stance and they really are just patting themselves on the back. There's a lot of that. And the most popular people on the underground right now are the people that do the exact opposite. People like Sam High, you know, that that do the exact opposite of these clean cut HBO comedy specials where, oh, the crazy thing that happened is they said motherfucker. I mean, we're used to cuss words. What we need now is somebody that, you know, b- blows their brains out and has their friend take a picture and put it on the cover of an album. That's that's what comedy needs. Sure, sure. The first person that came to mind is probably the antithesis of anything black metal. But uh, there was a recent controversy with the Mexican restaurant slash comedy club, The Creek in the Cave in Long Island City, <clears throat> where... Uh, this group of comedians that do a podcast called Legion of Skanks booked the very outdated Milo Yiannopoulos, who, you know, he, he hasn't had a good moment since uh, appearing on Bill Maher three <laughs> years ago. And a lot of comedians rallied around uh, the Creek in the Cave and Legion of Skanks to drop him. Mm-hmm. And they were threatening the establishment. They were threatening to milkshake people. Uh, New York Antifa got involved. Apparently, uh, some people showed up to uh, the the restaurant itself and were harassing folks or doing damage. Or something happened recently. But Milo Yiannopoulos is perhaps the embodiment of that. That's his entire personality. I don't even know if there's really a soul there. <laughs> it's just I'm going to do things that piss people off. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he's not the most popular or most interesting at this time. I think a lot of those guys really lost their buzz around 2016, 2017. Owen Benjamin right now is fucking insane. I sent you that video of him last night on YouTube That's where he's just... the most just, amazing thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything more black metal than that. That's I will say that. 100% true. Well, there, there has always been that same thing in black metal where you know bands get booked and the first thing that happens is it used to be the Christian moms come out and say, no, these, these people can't um, perform here because they're going to bring Satan. Now it's it's a, a lot of the super social justice types that come out and say this band is uh, explicitly Nazis or whatever. And it can be it can be something like mundane someone's done in the past and that's enough to get like tr- trigger those same communities. So it's not a surprise to see that that uh, you know, you're potentially too subversive for me so i have to like i guess burn down the place where you fucking are about to attend like somebody a third party's organization i guess that's a thing that's trickled into other communities but from what i've always experienced was it was always metal or black metal trying to show up somewhere and getting that treatment it was never specific like political ideologies like that and now now it's it's everywhere you know yeah well your movie can have that same response the effect of that is if you do something that crosses the line according to this list of uh deeds you should not commit or or subscribe to Mm -hmm. uh then yeah you are a target Mm -hmm. another person that came to mind was gavin mckinnis who you know he has the reputation of being a comedian he had a comedy show on compound media a couple of years back and he's also the founder of vice mm-hmm. he's he's got quite a, a number of accomplishments under his belt and he forms a gang to essentially fight the, the far left antifa people 
Now, granted, you can say whatever you want about these fellows. They're not that impressive to look at. You know, they're not physical specimens you would normally be aware of. But some of them have done some damage to people. They've wound up in court. He's in trouble over something or another. Actually, I think you might be suing the SPLC. But there's another example of that where it's an escalation of things Mm -hmm. from people that are directly involved within a creative scene as a result of the social inaccessibility to that right but and and just like like i said with people like mark vikernes and euronymous is i don't think gavin mcginnis takes that hat off when he goes home i think that a lot of the stuff that you hear him say and see him do are things that he would say or do without the same platform right because i very honestly think his opinions and his personality that we see is really close to to how he really is and yeah that that's that's what i mean to say that in lords of chaos these guys are depicted as really big time posers i think more or less because the guy that made the movie was a big time poser and needs i think this was his own attempt to say like these guys that i was hanging out with they weren't all really bad and crazy it's like if you went back and made boys in the hood again and at the end everybody realized you know we shouldn't have been gangsters we should be good boys like it, it, it's it sort of comes off like that when you get to you know the hair cutting and like this like virgin purity thing that he does with his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, what the yeah, fuck? yeah, yeah. That was really cringe. You know, we haven't talked about the movie really all that much because there is so much to get into regarding just the general topic of this. But there are moments in this movie that feel straight out of a lifetime film, and that is exactly what I was thinking of in regards to that. And there's also certain lines that just feel so forced. But I'll tell you what, I actually like this movie quite a bit. I think the writing needed to be worked on. And maybe the performance of uh, Emery Cohen as Varg Mm -hmm. could have been a little less uh, sinister. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he, he does the looking up through his eyebrow thing for most of the movie. With a yeah, little the bit of hair stare. in his face, yeah, the Kub- sure. the Kubrick stare and the emo kid hair—that's that's what we'll call it. And he- also, they couldn't have picked a guy who looked less like Varg. He's and this this was also a complaint of uh, Varg's, from what I know. He was very Chub- upset that they cast Chubby. a fat Jewish actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Varg. There's a, a one of the first memes you'll ever see if you type in Varg on any like meme generator or gift generator is gonna be the L'Oreal Varg thing when he throws this he has this long brown hair that's like perfectly silky he throws it back while after having been convicted uh, for murder and he with all due respect he was a um, twinkish boy right skinny. Long hair, looked like a girl, kind of, when when not uh, staring at you like he was going to fucking stab you 40 times or whatever. like that. And this dude is just a chubby kind of teen boy who says things like, what, are you getting a knife because you want to stab me and make a snuff feel like you told our friend that one time? Like it, like, It's very on the nose. The dialogue literally is like just full-on exposition, essentially. <laughs> well, the narration, holy shit. I forgot that this was Macaulay Culkin's brother, and I thought mm. it was Macaulay Culkin. I thought I was watching Home Alone 5, Lost in Sweden, <laughs> and, and this motherfucker's like, Hi, <laughs> my name's Euronymous, and I'm the guitarist for black metal band Mayhem. 
and today I'm about to get murdered. That's almost <laughs> literally what he says in the beginning. It's almost exactly the fucking opening lines of the film. I'll tell you who the best actor in this movie is. Jack Kilmer, who's only in it for about 11 minutes as dead. dead. But I thought his performance was easily... And, and that's not uh, a slight against the Culkin. Kieran Culkin, is, is yeah. it? Yeah, I think so. There's so many Culkins that are working nowadays. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin, he's got nothing. He's on Red Letter Media every single week. <laughs> he just shows up to say, hey, remember how I'm Macaulay Culkin? <laughs> yeah. So I think Jack Kilmer easily gives the best performance. Emery Cohen, I don't think he's necessarily bad. I think he struggles with the script. And it comes across in like a stereotypical, I'm the bad guy kind of manner. Mm -hmm. Well, I can almost hear the direction. I can almost hear Auckland coming up to him and telling him, look, you're an evil, pissed off, angry Nazi, right? Because that, that, that's a thing that's kind of annoying too, is the very heavy handed, oh, Varg is a Nazi type thing. When I think the vast majority of those guys would tell you that, that to pinpoint any of their political ideologies at that time, you would, you'd be wrong. Like if you were to say you knew exactly what it was, you'd be wrong. And Auckland just plain straight up says that he's a Nazi. Call, whatever he calls, um, shit, I can't remember the German's name right now. Anyways, he, he call he calls it. He he says, "Oh, you fake fucking Nazi," as if like it's a it offended him that he did a Zeke Heil and you you're not a real Nazi. When it's like the, that shit's all completely made up, and because they have to make it up, it ends up being poorly paced. And poorly scripted. Where, like you said, the dialogue sucks, and these guys are struggling to deliver these lines. Varg's actual views are very weird and confusing because they are fairly racist views, but they're based within some kind of mythology that's <laughs> like Middle Earth esque. Like his his name comes from uh, Burzum. The name Burzum comes from J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm -hmm. It's all nerd shit, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He has a he has a fairly unsuccessful D and D ripoff that is basically the good characters are white and the bad characters are the ones that aren't white and the worst characters are the ones that hoard money and control that wear yarmulkes right exactly and it's it it's I don't think it's necessarily fair to to say. That like right now he's a Nazi. I think that he has this like very made up political ideology because his perception of the world is weird. He spent twenty something years in prison or whatever. But <clears throat> specifically then, at best, you're talking about someone who, if they embraced Nazism, wasn't because they thought they were they were a true Nazi, but it was because it was the most offensive thing in their community. If that's, you know, if that was a thing at all, that's why it would have been a thing. But then doesn't that go and prove the point that he's a poser? In it, I would say that there are, there are aspects of their personalities that are put-ons, but that in order to get there, it has to, you'd have to be semi-real. You have to actually have some of these tendencies or the the mindset to carry out a lot of this stuff in order to carry out a lot of the stuff what do you think is the strongest of the black metal bands and also the strongest of those featured within the film 
well, to keep things on target. The only one speech in the film, I wrote them down, are uh, Sarcophago, Tormentor, Grotesque, and re-recordings of already made Mayhem songs. So I don't think any of those at all besides Mayhem are really like Dark Throne is probably the biggest and also the most accessible, most successful, and best of of all of those bands. And it's unfortunate that it's not, they're not here at all. Because I think Fenrir's really is a lot of people's conduit to the genre. What do you think of the fact that Burzum was very loosely part of the pop culture at large? There were uh, reviews in popular music magazines and websites of his more recent albums, you know, like about.com has a review mm-hmm. of that. The, I think the Boston journal does Anthony Fantano did a review of one or two Burzum albums. And I don't think you could do that right now without having a, a, a certain kind of perception drawn of you. No, no, you couldn't Walmart Walmart in Canada. No, doesn't Walmart actually used to sell Burzum t-shirts not too long ago. Um, no shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it, for me. It's the same thing that I think maybe a lot of Nirvana fans feel whenever they hear Nirvana in a rate on the radio in in a store or in a film. Um, to them and to the artists that put the music out, it was never for that type of consumption. It was almost exclusively about how they didn't like that type of consumption or that type of production or whatever, and. It, that's something that I think that this film doesn't doesn't do any benefit to, right? It mm. it doesn't. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to explain. I'm not. I'm not like offended, right? But putting Burzum specifically, then Burzum, Dark Throne, uh, Satyricon, putting them in the quote unquote mainstream misses the point and, and and it sort of tarnishes by my perception of the people that would do that you know Jonas Ockerland who is a guy who I've always thought was a poser up to this point was just a kind of a poser now it's kind of like dude you're, you're making up chunks of information that like aren't necessary because you want to make a film because you want to capitalize on the fact that this shit happened and you are loosely connected to it. More fringe versions of black metal continue to pop up. And I think that those things get, you know, each version that comes up is inappropriate quote unquote for the modern context. So what happening, what's happening now is there's a lot more, um, national socialist black metal showing up than there has been before because that's the most offensive thing and like like you said a lot of people will become that because they're pretending to be that do you think that there is room for any kind of growth realistically speaking uh, for somebody who gets involved in this scene let's just say hypothetically Varg never murders Euronymous right but he does serve time for the church burning, reintegrates into society. Is there a place for him as a musician? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see, I think... Not, the, not a musician residing in who knows where France currently right, right. with 
you know, a, a home that probably isn't even his. I think he just lives on the land nowadays. He, he lives on some property, and I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> right. I'm talking about a proper reintegration in spite of flirting with uh, fascist ideologies or at the time i guess the more controversial thing which nowadays is kind of laughable is uh, satanism and and the occult mm -hmm. uh is there room for that kind of individual to come out of that and be just an average musician yeah i think i think that there are people that are already sort of like that i think if you look at um like the courses that someone like marilyn manson's career has taken if we're talking more pop culture so that people understand you go from uh really grotesque and over the top and the most subversive thing of 1997 to kind of your dad's rock in in 2018 it's mm. it that so yeah i think i think regardless of i don't know if i compare marilyn manson to these guys and and see a sense of any kind of uh, uh, equality among them because Marilyn Manson to me is a guy who you know his whole act is like a horror movie mm -hmm. these fellows were tied into taboo ideologies right well I, I, I would just say in the sense of subversion right so mm -hmm. where Marilyn Manson is extremely subversive for general audiences uh, and for his time up to now where he's pop culture where his music is like i mean there's probably a movie trailer coming out next week that'll have the beautiful people in it or whatever or sweet dreams or whatever he he's he's fairly pop culture and i think that it without um a couple of murders there's room for a black metal artist like bar uh, varg vikernes to be commercially acceptable and and socially acceptable as uh, uh, you know, an independent artist or even to some not very huge labels. I think that probably the church burnings and being like part of Interscope or like American Records or some shit probably isn't going to happen. Um, but, you, but like, again, I don't think that it would have ostracized him from the world. I think that a big part of it is the murder Nazi stuff. It's interesting to me that that is the kind of thing that will get you permanently blacklisted. Uh, but having a house full of enslaved women, you know, people yeah. tend to overlook these That's things. That's fine. No, you can you can literally beat the shit out of Rihanna and still have a successful music career. If you murder murder a guy thirty years ago in in an apartment somewhere in a country that most people don't know exists, and you know you're pretty much blacklisted forever. You're per permanent Nazi. Do you think that Varg now is a different individual than Varg of, what, how old was he, 20, 21? Yeah. Think, when he killed Euronymous? I think, yeah, 50-year-old 50, 50 Varg seems more, um, he seems less, like, directly violent, violent, you know, and mm. and more of the the type of person that just wants to live his life without having other people bother him, which before was, I, I think, obviously people that perform black metal music aren't trying to just be totally left alone they want someone to pay attention you know and i think mm. maybe there's still some of that because he puts out videos he could easily well, that, write that's books. the thing yeah he i don't know if he officially retired from music but he's done with burzum now mm -hmm. and what he does instead is release youtube videos maybe three or four times a week 
I went over to the YouTube channel today just to get a refresher on Olvard. Mm -hmm. And he had a very short video out, which is just him sitting and sulking. And then the last minute or so is just the words, Hail Death, repeatedly, over and over. <laughs> very nihilistic, very depressing. He's given up. He's he's done. <laughs> well, his, his last few Burzum albums were Norwegian folk music reinterpreted as modern hymns so they were like or old old hymns excuse me norwegian hymns reinterpreted as folk music let me get your opinion on burzum in general mm -hmm. you said you owned a cassette are you a fan of the burzum oh hell, hell yeah hell yeah i listen to burzum quite frequently actually like i said that his most recent music has been these these weird like viking hymns and i'll just listen to that shit and get stoned now, are you prepared to be blacklisted as a result of that opinion? <laughs> I think uh, I think probably already blacklisted. I can't tell you how many times my uh, <clears throat> my podcast has been rejected by iTunes at this point. They won't allow you on Teespring. They won't allow you. <laughs> you had trouble with Twitter for a while. I mean, Hans needs to get your approach. What did you do to <laughs> subvert that Twitter ban? Poor I, Hans. I can't say. I can't say it's a secret. Mm. Of course. And you didn't even you didn't do anything that was that bad, but they have it out for you. Dude, I'm, uh. I'm telling you, I've already I've already made the blacklist. When you when you submit your fucking first episode of of your podcast and it gets denied like five times, your fifth episode gets denied like five times. It's clearly not the the content and just just you, you know. Yeah, you're the black metal of podcast. I guess <laughs> I'll fucking murder someone. But th yeah. that that's something that I wanted to talk about too is that that they got this graphic depiction of the dead death, you know, and they got it it's kind of long, the dead suicide. Mm -hmm. Um but the stabbing of Euronymous is a fucking cringy scene in general. Like I said before, the monologue is bad, but stabbing him and having these responses from your honest be like, oh, we can we can make this, we could use this and use this to get big. We'll tell everybody that you stabbed me. It's no big deal. Oh, you stabbed, what do you stab me again for? Oh, you stabbed me again. Like he almost literally said, oh, why'd you stab me again? And I'm, I'm, I'm confused at what the idea is going into filming these scenes. Because if you don't know what they say, why make it up? You could easily just show them getting stabbed. But I think it fits with the character because they portray him as this savvy marketing genius who is all about the character and not legitimacy. He's all about wanting to further the reputation of the band. Mm -hmm. And so in his last moments, he relies on that type of manipulation he's used all along to get people bought into this idea that he's trying to build. Fair enough. Okay, I guess as a film, right, the characters are consistent uh, Varg is always kind of crazy and always seems like he's about to hurt somebody and then finally does. Euronymous is always kind of a sneaky little bitch and ends kind of being a sneaky little bitch. And Dead was sort of emotionless and very also sad. very pained. And yeah. I felt that. And like you said, I think Dead was my favorite part of the whole movie. He was sad. He was hurt. I believed he wanted to kill himself. Yeah, Jack Kilmer is very underrated as an actor. He popped up, I think, in Palo Alto, which is a Gia Coppola film based on the James Franco novel of the same name. And he's excellent in that. 
But for what limited screen time he has here, he really does make the most of it as dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes me wish that they had delved into that limited history uh, that they had uh, a little bit more in the film. Because it does take quite a, a turn after his departure. Well, there's, like I've shown you before, there's a deep rabbit hole to go down when it comes to this whole bla- this whole black metal scene of that particular period. And it sucks that it was Lords of Chaos and a made-up Euronymous story that became a film. Because if, 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 if people are going to be introduced to this through this mainstream um, outlet like this, through a, a feature film like this, I think it would have been better to show more of what happened in the community rather than just this one you know tra- tragic story of a kid that just wanted to play play around at satan and bad guy and end up crossing paths with a real meanie well i think it's all a result of varg being charismatic i think if varg is boring then you don't have this movie or it looks very different i don't think that he would be the center of the book i don't think that he would be the center of the documentary that came out on i think it was amazon a couple of years back i I forget the title i think it was called uh as the light takes Mm -hmm. us and a lot of people have complained about the book and that documentary and of course this film that they're not accurate to the reality of this scene during that time Mm -hmm. and we do see a good portion of it shaped directly and indirectly as a result of Varg and his take on things. There are certain aspects of this movie that feel like a jab at Varg. Would you agree with that? Yeah, like I said, the, all, the, all the Nazi stuff, framing it to where he would be uh, threatening someone and then just off on the wall is a picture of Hitler and, and stuff that nobody has ever said he said or was there or would do is there, I think, specifically because Ockerlin knows that stuff that pisses Varg off. And I think that that stuff is included only because Varg and Fenrir's were so, like, like distant and wouldn't help. Right? Because mm-hmm. uh, that's a big... The reason why their actual music isn't in the film is because every one of those dudes told told the, the, the production team to fuck off. And said that, no, you can't use our music and go fuck yourself. So is the biggest discrepancy then with the book and the movie and the documentary the alignment of the Nazi ideology with these bands? What What is really the big complaint in regards to the accuracy of these things? So a lot of it is conversations because a lot of people say that like we didn't have this conversation or I didn't say this. Um, I think Fenrir's complaint initially is that it's hard for people to understand the actual context of, of why people did certain things, why some people left some bands or why, because there, there's more to it. There's more drama in all of it than just um, Varg and Euronymous. And I think probably my, my biggest gripe would be Euronymous and Varg had beef that wasn't just Varg was owed money for a couple of cassettes, a couple of sales or whatever. And Euronymous was a manipulative crazy man in the same way that Varg was. And I think that one of them was going to be a dead person. 
I don't think that Varg is making it up when he says that he had had heard from a very reliable source that Euronymous was going to murder him in the woods and make it a snuff film. We're talking about a dude that took a picture of his friend's suicided brain, right? Um, yeah. And, and both the book and the movie tell the reader and the viewer, this is the bad guy, this is the good guy. And I don't think that that's how it was in reality. And I, I I don't think that because both listening to them talk about it and when you read through some writings and kind of just follow follow the breadcrumbs, you don't get this this group of posers where one of them's this really nice boy and maybe one of them's a really bad guy. And instead you have like twenty kind of fucked up weird dudes, you know, from like the middle of nowhere. Do you think that this is a good example of how Maybe I shouldn't call it yellow journalism, but how inaccurate journalism shapes our history. Well, yeah, you know where the film doesn't have the typical thing that like a biopic would have where you would play a few notes and then the most iconic song is suddenly being played in a concert, which is obviously fake and made up, right? Crafting um, art takes a long time and isn't just, oh, I heard two notes and that's good. Um, But at the same time, it has to make up conversations and situations in order to get to the the end that it decided it needed to have. And because of that, it feels like there's a lot more lies than there could than there than there is. It might not be super inaccurate, right? It could only be kind of inaccurate, but it feels like a bunch of lies because you know there's so much made up in it already. It's interesting that Jonas Ackerland uh, opted to go with, I suppose, uh, falsehoods with this film that aren't even featured in the book. Mm -hmm. And I understand doing that to make it accessible to the viewer and trying to uh, regale this particular story as simply as possible to someone who might have zero knowledge of the scene, like I did when I sat down in the theater. I only knew really what you had told me about. Yeah. But it just seemed like certain aspects of that in being accurate to history didn't need to be altered for this movie. And I'm thinking specifically of one moment in the film in which Euronymous gives out necklaces that contain a bit of Dad's bone or his brain or something, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in the book, that's stated to be actually that. Mm -hmm. In the movie... They they dismiss it as chicken bone or something toward the end of the film, like upping the innocence of this character, Euronymous, that you've been kind of getting at throughout the podcast and having a gripe with. So I definitely see that component is in place, the whitewashing, if you will, mm-hmm. of this person within this scene at this moment in time. And it is it does it does come across as lazy. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. giving the viewer enough credit to be able to distinguish that even if he wasn't the best person or morally he might have been more flexible than the average person that he didn't deserve to die. Let's say you're reading an article about how PewDiePie, you know, fucked up. You know, he did something bad. Inside of the article will be times that it's like, "Oh, and he's accused of grooming people into white nationalism." Well, you know that he's not really accused of that and that one time he mentioned a YouTube channel and that guy had 
use references to things that some people would consider to be dog whistles or whatever. And it's like this long line of logic to get to there. But in the report, it's, oh, he's been accused of a groom of grooming people uh, with white nationalist videos. It, if you don't know the whole context of what that sentence means, like, like what they're actually saying there, if you don't click the link in your mind, you just think that he's saying, hey, guys, you know, watch this video of why Hitler was really cool. Let's talk about how there weren't that many, you know, gas chambers to kill all the Jews. If you don't have the information, it makes it seem a lot worse. And I think that there are times where there's not information given. You don't totally understand. Like, let's say with uh, the Faust Lilyhammer murder, you don't totally understand. You know, it's it's. For in real life, this is probably pretty black and white, right? He's explained it. There's court documents you could refer to. It's probably pretty black and white why he did what he did. But in the film, it's it's not completely interpreted. And it's like, well, why not? Is it because you just want him to seem like a genuine bad guy? Is it because you're trying to make sure that the Euronymous um, uh, character looks like the only good guy? And it kind of it draws into question the motives of the directors and writers. Do you think that there is a future for this genre? And do you think that the movie, in spite of condemning Varg, is doing more to raise his profile and assist in the spreading of his personality and music. So, so in regards to the last one, absolutely. I think that there's a big problem with the sort of Streisand effect uh, when it comes to fringe figures like this. There's whole genres of music that are basically just Nazi music that I only know about because somebody wrote a fucking a super long BuzzFeed article. Let me just butt in real quick. Do you think that the journalists know that and they just don't care? Yeah. I, well, I think on two fronts, they know that you're going to find the music and go look at it and it's going to signal boost these artists. But I also think that when, that, that in their mindset, it's when that, that artist gets signal boosted, also my article about them will get boosted also. So it, they have financial incentive to tell you where to go when they complain about people going there. And I think by writing these articles, they are advertently or inadvertently sending the squad of people that they're claiming this person is, is a, you know, drawing, let's say with PewDiePie for, for, for perfect example, right. Mm -hmm. Where they said that he was doing a white nationalist, whatever that was, uh, appealing to a certain fringe base. Obviously, he wasn't. He was just being a little edgy boy. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say that in an article, and that article starts to get some buzz to it, people start passing it around, those fringe individuals will come across that and go, oh, I like PewDiePie now. Right. He's one right. of my guys. I'm going to go check it. I'm going to go subscribe to PewDiePie. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't quite become a self-fulfilling prophecy, but when subjected to the wrong person... It can become that. I think absolutely. I think that has happened to some well-known people. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, specifically, again, PewDiePie is the best example of it. In one video, <clears throat> he mentioned something. He said something like, oh, I'm proud of you, boy. Well, if you know, the Proud Boys, they'll say that. Or for a while, that was a thing that they said to piss off other people, right? And... Because of the way 
I would say the same type of maybe untrue, like not necessarily lying, but not necessarily truthful storytelling that someone like Auckland did in this film. A lot of journalists use that same thing and they'll take, they'll take these out of context examples, present them to somebody and say, Hey, this is PewDiePie saying the proud boy thing. And this is indication that he is a, a, a proponent of the proud boys. He loves the proud boys. Somebody else sees that and just says, yes, and I love the Proud Boys too. And you gave me the evidence. Sometimes they yeah. don't give evidence. They just say, oh, you know, Lorez likes Metallica. And you're like, oh, well, I like Lorez. I like Metallica. Right on. We're cool together. But if I actually show you in a Metallica shirt, whether it's yours or your sister's, it doesn't fucking matter. Now there's enough proof, quote unquote, to, to most evidence, quote unquote, for me to really say, like, now I know he's on my side. Even if you're sitting at home being like, I fucking hate this shirt. Now, let me just circle back to the original question at hand, which is distant from this. But do you think there is a future for black metal? Yeah, I think it's it's bigger now than it's ever been. Uh, like last year, Talib Kweli was so pissed off that black metal is as big as it is. that I actually saw that. Mm-hmm. Before I knew anything about the scene, I, I do know about that controversy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he, he tried to get a venue completely. Well, he tried to get the venue uh, attacked and firebombed by Antifa initially was his original goal but that didn't work that antifa didn't firebomb the place and the bands because they didn't want the location to get burned down themselves dropped out and now the one of the bands that i like a lot a lot isn't going to perform the united states ever again so i don't get an opportunity to see them because talib kweli organized a terrorist group to burn down a club because he thinks that one time he saw a picture of an old guitarist uh, wearing a swastika on his shirt in a picture from like 2007. What, you mean like Sid Vicious? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, any of the other bands that at one point wanted to make a comment commentary on how Nazism is bad, like Reagan Youth, guys that literally dressed up in KKK clothing uh, and performed on stage and had a song that went, We Are Reagan Youth. Heil, 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 Reagan youth, heil, heil, heil. Do you have any closing thoughts on this movie? So the film isn't horrible. It wasn't like, it wasn't boring to watch. I enjoyed the um, kind of dream sequences that that uh, Euronymous would have when he was uh, uh, having these emotional moments and he's at these emotional crossroads in the film. Uh, it's structured pretty much like any other biopic would be in hey, this is where they started this is where they ended type thing and that's kind of like kind of bland um so i guess i would just say it's got some style to it but it's sort of just sort of yeah it's just sort of bland it's a horrible it's just sort of bland i don't know if i agree that it's bland i do think it succumbs to that lifetime made for tv formula a little too hard at times it is a massive improvement over Polar, um, but oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. There's just something, there's like a spirit to this movie. Maybe you don't agree with that uh, or this or what I'm about to say because you have uh, an interest to the black metal scene, obviously outside of the film. But I do think there's a spirit to this movie that feels oddly contemporary and energetic, which I wasn't expecting to be drawn to or interested in 
before going to see this movie. I literally went to go see this movie to do this episode mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. months ago, many, many months ago when it first came out in like February. And I do think it is a, I think it's right on the edge between being kind of shitty and kind of good. And I don't think my opinion or the general consensus will really form on it for like another five years or so. I think then we'll be able to see if this movie actually sucked and it was no better than what you would see uh, programmed in the mid to late 90s. Hmm. Or if there might be something else to it. Yeah, I think I think you probably got something there. I would say if uh if i'm if i remove my connection to the story to it right and i'm just like like from a film viewer's perspective it's got enough it's got enough to it that i can see a lot of other films being shittier and making this better by default you know it's because i i can say for myself again having gone into the movie zero knowledge about euronymous varg Faust, any of these characters in the scene, what they look like, what they act like, what they think. Mm-hmm. I watched the movie. I walked away pretty satisfied. I liked the movie. I then learn about these people. And then I start shaving off layers. And it's like, okay, this seems hokier now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I do think that that might have uh, something in play in regards to looking at the overall quality of the film. And maybe it should. But... Well, yeah, that, I, that's what I would ask you is if if you if you watch a film that's um, sort of a, a sort of supposed to be a biopic or supposed to be about a moment in time or an individual and you're drawn to learn more about them. But does that that I think that technically qualifies as good, you know, because that I think that's the point, right, is if they if a director wants you to go learn about this black metal scene and it doesn't matter how. Uh, boring the movie is or how poorly acted it is or whatever if you leave and go learn about them then that's mission accomplished for him and technically good. in that in that regard i would say it's a success in a covert commercial way mm-hmm. but i don't know if that necessarily makes it a success as a movie okay fair enough i'll i'll, t- I'll tell you what might be an apt comparison to how you felt walking into this film for me it was foxcatcher I read the Foxcatcher book by, and his name is escaping me, but the character that Channing Tatum plays in the film wrote the book mm-hmm. on Foxcatcher. And the, 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 man, the text itself is so unintentionally rich with humor. There's so much hilarity that occurred because it's like these big brutish guys that don't understand that this 50-year-old scrawny billionaire just wants to suck their cock so <laughs> so bad. That's the only reason why he set up this whole wrestling team and this whole claim to fame. He's wrestling with them. He's hanging out in the locker room. He's just so desperate to get in bed and make sweet, passionate uh, sex with them. <laughs> and they don't understand it. This this guy does not get it. He's just a big meathead. Right. And, uh, you know, it's written by this guy. So all of the writing is in that really dumb like manner and style of communication. It's great. It's so fucking funny. And then you go see the movie starring Steve Carell and Channing Tatum and you're thinking, okay, they understand that part. But you get in and it's an Oscar vehicle for these fellows, especially Steve Carell. Yeah. There's one funny moment in the movie and that's it. It's a big waste. It's a big letdown. And I hope if I can't do it myself, 
that somebody else picks up that book again can draw from that and properly execute it on film. So, so you said what you're saying is that your your goal as a filmmaker is to remake Foxcatcher and make sure that it's properly conveyed that this old man wants to suck all those young dudes. <laughs> yeah, well, when you put it that way, uh, <laughs> yes. Fair enough. I think uh, I I think that's that's pretty much a, a a good way to explain how I felt. Is I had an expectation because I had information going into the film. But if you don't have that information, I could see where you could come out of it without, you know, without shaking, shaking a finger at it at all and saying, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But that's, I mm-hmm. think, just just to close my thoughts, I think that's a problem with these types of films, no matter what, is if you're, if you at all know the backstory and the film, it, it differs from it or gets something maybe a little bit wrong. It's going to piss you off. I, I know a guy who fucking hates Titanic, not because it's kind of a boring film, but because of inaccuracies and things. Because he survived the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, he was yeah. there. He hates every time his 118 year old ass fucking sees that boat go down for a 15th time at the end of the second cassette. You know what I learned recently is Titanic beat Con Air for best song at the 1997 maybe 96 oscars unbelievable what song did con air have entered in for what it was a leanne rhymes song oh shit how do how I? how do live? i live with yes that song yes. plays for like a split second too it's really not no 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 you are you are misremembering here really? it plays during uh the scene where he's dancing with his wife nicholas oh, cage he's out of yes, the service yes, yes and then these guys are like what is it? He's a Marine? Mm-hmm. What a pussy. Let's go beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then he accidentally murders all of them or something and goes to jail. And then on the day of his release, that's when John Malkovich decides to hijack the plane that's mm-hmm. going to let him off in Nevada. And um, then at the end, when he gets back with his wife and he, he meets his little girl for the first time, gives her this stuffed teddy bear, they embrace... And then that song plays again as John Cusack watches in the distance. It's such a beautiful. That's moment. right. That's right. We gotta we had to do a ratings episode on Con Air because that movie is Hell actually yes, amazing. Dude. I love Con Air. That might be one of my. That might be my top '90s movie. The director of Con Air saw that I put out like a tweet or something that was talking about how much I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and this was recently. This was like last year, and he sent me a care package in the mail with. Like the bunny from Con Air, cups, what? Uh, uh, a sweatshirt. Yeah, he sent it to my home. That's from so England. badass. That was really uh, great, and only reaffirmed that I'll only speak positively about that film from now until my death. So, <laughs> Con Air. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Oh, this dude. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you have many people in your audience that haven't seen Con Air, but if they have, they can. They can give me their number. I'll find them and kill them. <laughs> then you'll really be black metal. That'll 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 put it over the top. Yeah, uh, yeah. I already stabbed someone, so I'm already there, dude. That has been this episode of movies, and I know we didn't talk a whole lot about the movie, but I, I think it's such an interesting conversation surrounding this genre of music and obviously the whole subculture that it bred in the early '90s. So, thank you for popping on for this episode. And uh, until next time, oh, well, do you want to give your Twitter account and your YouTube and all that? 
yeah, you can find me on YouTube. On, it's Unbeliever Media, YouTube.com, or on Twitter at Mulatto underscore Jesus. Uh, and you've been contributing to the series Comfort Systems. And you're featured now in episode two mm-hmm. as the NPR narrator there. Yep, you can hear my very sexy voice in that. And uh, hopefully I will send you episode three content right now. Yes, that would be excellent. So we'll also have, have hopefully, if nothing else goes awry, if you don't suddenly pick up Han's internet where it takes two and a half days to send a Wii transfer link, <laughs> then you will be featured in episode three of Conference Systems. All right. Thank you again, Jerry. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on.